And then all of a sudden, out of the woodworks, this snowball started to happen. It was about, I think, a month ago when I saw the first one come out. And now we've seen about five direct, basically copycat competitors funded by pretty, you know, heavy hitter VC funds. And honestly, it's actually quite exciting. You know, I, I really love competition. Here with Kay Majmandar, the CEO and co-founder of SwayPay. So normally when we kick off these conversations, I've been asking what the world looks like in 10 years if you succeed. And certainly we're gonna get there. This one's a little bit special though, because a couple of weeks ago I tweeted something about a founder whose company and deck got ripped off. There's a bunch of copycats coming out. That was Kay. We're not gonna name any names on the funds involved. We're not gonna name any names on even, I don't think the companies involved. There's a bunch in the space. Some maybe came to the idea independently. Some may not have. We're not gonna name names, but I did wanna give kind of Kay the chance to, to tell the Sway Pay story and explain kind of how she came up with the idea that so many people now want to copy and what's going on in the industry and, and how she went. But before we do, a word from the sponsor of all of season two of Not Boring Founders. That is right, ladies and gentlemen, I am talking about FTX US. FTX has been with us for a few weeks now. You're familiar with them. So I'm gonna flip the script right now and tell you that if you're looking to trade crypto, there's no better place to start than the FTX app. You can go to your app store of choice, download the FTX app, and when you sign up, enter my code, not boring, all one word. After that, when you trade $10 in the app, you get a free coin or just check the show notes, click on the link and sign up in whatever podcast player you use. It'll do it all automatically for you. My ETH bags have been on a bit of a heater last week. I'm glad that I stayed in the market as things looked a little bit bearish, which I wrote about this morning. Uh, and FTX is a way that I keep buying more in an automatic and recurring way. So you might know FTX because it's the fastest company ever to reach a $32 billion valuation, because I've talked about it, because it builds the world's best crypto derivatives products, or because it's the tool trusted by professional crypto traders and institutions. But for us, there is the FTX app. The FTX app, which was born out of the company's acquisition of Blockfolio, is the most complete crypto app. It allows you to buy crypto and NFTs with no fees, use a crypto debit card, track your entire crypto portfolio, and even get important news updates on your bags. You can buy crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, even Doge with zero fees in a matter of minutes, and they're adding new features and coins every day. The FTX app is cheaper than any other crypto exchange. There's no fixed minimum fee on transactions, no ECH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. You can even set up recurring buys, like I do, directly from your bank account for a dollar cost averaging strategy, AKA just close your eyes and keep buying and don't try to time the market. But again, instead of listening to me, go try it for yourself. That's the FTX app. Download it, use my code, not boring, or just click the link in the show notes, trade $10, get a free coin, thank me later, and thank FTX US for sponsoring all of season two of Not Boring Founders, like this conversation with SwayPay founder, Kaya Majmandar. Kaya, could you introduce yourself and and kind of what you're up to and what the past few weeks have been like as there's been so many SwayPay clones out there? Yeah, for sure. And first off, thank you, Packy, for having me and supporting us 
throughout this entire journey that's been really, really wild. I believe that there's a pent up social capital in the world that, you know, is in the hands of ordinary people, not just influencers, and that brands want to be able to tap into this pent up social capital. And how do you unlock that, right, for the masses? And this came to me about 10 years ago when I was 19, basically accidentally, honestly, got a deal on Shark Tank for my very first company. And it sent me crazy viral. I was trending number one on Twitter because Barbara said I wasn't an entrepreneur. Um, and it was, it was really crazy. She emailed me after saying, JK, I, I you know, take that back. But anyway, so uh, the episode really went really viral. And I experienced the power of virality from the brand side. And from kind of the product side, because I was at the product at the point at that time. And I was like, wow, all of a sudden, everybody wants my product overnight. And so for 10 years, I've been trying to figure out, okay, how do we uh, unlock social as a currency, Sway as a currency for the masses? And that led us to SwayPay. SwayPay is today a very, very simple cash back app that lets customers get up to 100% or in some cases more cash back on their purchases by posting them on TikTok. So it's super, super easy. You download the app, you automatically see the qualifying purchases you've made at participating brands. You submit TikTok posts featuring what you bought. We grade them and issue you cash back accordingly. So we have the receipts uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, we worked together. I wrote about uh, when we initially invested in the company. What's it been like over the past couple of weeks having these competitors uh, emerge seemingly all at once? Yeah. So what's really interesting is that when I was initially fundraising for SwayPay, it's a pretty novel concept, right? It, it's, it's simple and it's straightforward, but I like this idea of uh, idea sex, right? Where you kind of take two things and you, you mesh them and it becomes this beautiful idea, baby. So we took cash back and influencer world and turned it into SwayPay. And when I was pitching it, it, you know, was no one had really ever seen it before. And then all of a sudden out of the woodworks, this snowball started to happen. It was about, I think a month ago when I saw the first one come out and now we've seen about five direct, basically copycat competitors funded by pretty, you know, heavy hitter VC funds. And honestly, it's actually quite exciting. You know, I, I really love competition. I'm an athlete, Matt, my co-founder is an athlete and it's kind of like you, you're a runner, right? Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I went and ran the New York marathon and it was, you know, really frenetic at the start. And everyone's like, Oh, I'm like super nervous. I don't even know if I'm going to make it. Right. And then naturally the leaders kind of separate themselves from the pack and it's open road. And so for us, that's how we think about this. We've been running this for 10 years. We have had open road. And so now we're kind of seeing copycats come out because obviously it's a really great concept and it's starting to work for us. So on one hand, like I said, super excited about the competition, but on the other hand, we are super confident that we're going to win. And Matt and I talk about this all the time that if it comes down to team, right, we have the most phenomenal team on the planet firing on all cylinders across the board. And so if nothing else, it makes us perform better. We're just super excited about it. What are the things that you think you've built up over the course of the past 10 years uh, and even, you know, the, the year and a half or so head start that you have with SwayPay uh, as a specific kind of incarnation of the idea that you think will take people a long time to kind of catch up with. If you really think about why Sway hasn't been accepted, quote unquote, as a currency and has actually been memed a lot, right? You see- Wait, and the, When you say, when you say Sway, this is, this is core. So when you say Sway, what yeah, is Yeah, yeah, Sway. sway. 
sway is, you know, influence. It's like all these influencers are trying to pay with their posts, right? There was actually a really interesting New York Times headline. There was an article that said, no, we will not, these business owners will not accept your social post as payment, right? And it's this like constant comes up over and over again over the past five years, more and more and more. And I always love to say that the best fodder for a really good idea is memes, like what gets memed, because there's just such a big demand for it, right, on the on the consumer side. And then brands like lean into it, but they don't know quite how to lean into it because the incentives just aren't aligned. And yeah. so the the pillar for SwayPay is incentive alignment and value alignment across every single stakeholder. And so when we model our product, when we build our product, when we were thinking about our product, it was always like, okay, we know that users have this pent up form of social capital. We know that brands really want to tap in. They're, they're starting to tap in. And that's why users go up to stores saying, hey, can I pay with my TikTok cloud? But how do you really do it in a way that's cost effective and scalable for brands and actually easy and rewarding for customers? And on top of that, the incentive alignment for the audience too. They don't want to be shilled products all day, every day, right? They want it to be authentic. They want it to be funny. They want it to resonate with them. The pillar, and I think the real reason we will win from a, a like you know conceptual standpoint is incentive alignment. And when you think about our product, it's so simple, right? It's so simple when you think about it, like paperclip. But it, like I said, it took many, many years to get to this iteration where the incentives and value alignment were truly, truly there. And that we were starting to see the flywheel spin also on the brands, the audience, and the sway payer side. So the economics work. And you know, one of the things on the brand side is how do you loop back to purchases right and if you if you can actually loop back to purchases that these sway pairs for example are making well then of course there's an uncapped budget and you can go blow the roof off of this thing and then if you've seen how the influencer marketing game kind of you know we're marrying the two concepts has been increasing in in just kind of like tam over time it's only going to get bigger when you know sway pay for example is able to attribute purchases back as well that's huge. One of the other things that that I got questions on after I wrote about it, and even before I wrote about it, when I was talking to, to my wife, for example, was like, what happens when this is really successful and everybody is just posting sway pays all the time? Like, how do you not overwhelm people's feeds and how, how have you solved for that? So first off, we actually have a very, very extensive roadmap that just gets super deep and nuanced into how we loop it back. And to be honest, you know, leveraging TikTok, leveraging the existing platforms is our beachhead. Right. And so we think of how do you go to market with the tightest product that can serve the needs so simply and so effectively for every party involved? And then how do you expand from there? One of my favorite quotes, I think, is every good idea starts looking out looking like a toy. Right. And actually, when we were raising initially, when this idea didn't quite exist, one of the investors that we, we pitched and my favorite pass was this looks like a toy. You know, it doesn't it doesn't look real. And I was like, oh, thank you. You know. I think so, that is my most quoted, it's a Chris Dixon yeah. essay, my most quoted yeah, yeah, essay exactly. that, that, yes. that I think I've ever done in that, in that point. I must have quoted that thing 20 times. Yeah. Like I said, my favorite pass, and it, it looks like a toy because you're just posting on TikTok for cash back, but we, we go long and we go deep. And what we're really looking to is to build very uh, kind of a native experience where if you think about it, if imagine a world where every purchase is shared and brands can attribute that back to purchases and shoppers can get rewarded for it, right? This is about kind of, the, we're getting into zero party data world too. It, it's much bigger than posting for, for TikTok. Uh, I mean, posting cat, uh, TikToks for cash back eventually. But, you know, in the short term, what we're starting to see right now is that you, this whole idea of how do you think about flooding TikTok with a bunch of ads? It's actually 
totally the opposite. Number one, have you seen how big hashtag unboxing is on TikTok? I I forget how many billions of views you should you should we should look that up at some point, but it's growing massively because at the end of the day, people actually want product reviews. They want to see what people are buying, why people are buying. Look at mukbang, look at all these kinds of things. What they don't want is contrived posts, right? And so this is authentic. It's actual purchases of stuff that you really love and just creative ways of describing that and showing that. And it's, it's just showing in our posts, they're doing phenomenally well. They're getting syndicated by other accounts. And it just, because again, it goes back to that incentive alignment that brands don't feel like they have to force an influencer to post something because you don't have to pay $5,000 upfront for God knows what results. What has traction looked like recently? There's always that scary period in the beginning where you're like, oh shoot, I remember you had something with kind of the Shopify app store and like, there's all these things that happen and then something flips and it just starts taking off. What's that journey been like? When you first wrote about us, our product manifestation was quite different, right? And, and again, it goes back to why are we going to win? It's because we have been iterating, iterating, iterating over so much time that even though you see a very simple product up front, the nuances of the product are actually very complicated. There have been a few evolutions for us. First is the evolution, honestly, of the team. When you first wrote about us, it was really, I think, just me, right? And, and historically, that has been the case. I have evolved as a founder from what I call me to we. You know, when I was 19, it was me pitching this company, really precocious, a little cocky, and just kind of doing as much as I possibly could, not letting anyone in. And then, you know, I, I got to SwayPay, and when you first invested, it was, I think, me and my, my one engineer, and we had the initial product idea in mind, and we had built the initial iteration, and it was, like you said, off of Shopify. The API got deprecated for, for what we were building. And at that point, it was this, oh, shit moment, right? Like, what do we do? And I we remember you know talking about that with the team, and it ended up being the best thing for us because at the end of the day, it wasn't quite the right product manifestation to begin with. And then you know we started to build. We we're like, okay, we need to figure out a whole new product pretty much and also build a team right and so from a team standpoint now we have just the most phenomenal designer in Aaron we have the most phenomenal engineers for example in Dane and Matt and um, Matt is the brains behind kind of the sway scoring system for the cashback matrix that we have as well and the product at this point where it's come to this cashback app that kind of is native for consumers that also has and marries a back-end Shopify app has has significantly evolved and what's evolved with it too, in addition with our team, like we're kind of starting to put the pieces together together as a team. And we've started to put it right in front of users. And it's, it's kind of insane. When it comes back to incentive alignment, you just know as, a, as founders, you know, and no wonder now competitors are coming out of the woodworks now than they weren't coming with our first iterations a year ago, right? Or two years ago, there's this pull. It, it's like a really crazy pull from users. I think we delivered 20 million TikTok views in all of 2021. Then we did 20 million in January alone. All in, this is all beta, okay? This is beta, tiny number of users. Then we started, which is kind of opening, we, we built a, a waitlist thing and now we're, we've cracked more than 10,000 users on our, our waitlist in just a handful of months. In February, we delivered, I think it was like north of 22, 25 million views on TikTok. And then now we're tracking towards globally, you know, 50, 60 million views. Again, tiny, tiny user base because we're just kind of, a, you know, we're, we're phasing it in. And all of this to say also on the economic side for brands at 10 times cheaper cost. And it's, again, it's incentive alignment that the users just really, really love it. They're producing really, really good content for the brands that they really, really love and the audience loves it too.
what are brands saying now that you're kind of like delivering results at, at you know, 10x cheaper? Are you forming insane, partnerships yeah. with brands? Is it all just pulled yes. from the users? Like how does that whole piece work? Yeah, so the brands, it's really, really interesting. So the response is different at different sizes of brands. I think the most interesting response has been at the world's biggest brands. From the big brands perspective, it's very interesting. The biggest pushback is losing control. Right. And, and by the way, when it comes to what is the big future trend that we're leaning into, we're leaning into the shift in power dynamic from what was traditionally brands deciding what they're going to show to users in the boardroom. Right. And planning that out quarter to quarter and instead flipping the narrative to where consumers want to own the narrative and push the narrative forward. And then brands catch that narrative that consumers are, are giving, right? It's a shift in power dynamic. You see it in web three, everything across the board. And so from the brand side, from the big brand side, on one hand, they're, you know, especially one of the biggest brands I talked to, literally they do, I think 10 billion a quarter. They said they see sway pay as an inevitability, right? Because they see that users want to control the narrative. And if, if the users don't control the narrative, then these brands become obsolete. But at the same time, that's really scary, right? And so how do we bridge that gap for them and bring them into this world where users kind of, we were talking about almost decentralized or headless brands, right? It's like one of the themes too, right? How do you bring brands into that world safely in, in where they can still control the narrative? That's the biggest kind of like pushback. On the appetite side, right? I mean, obviously there's channel saturation. CACs are going through the roof with ads. Gen Z consumers and millennials are allergic to ads. We have ad blockers. I think 80% and 80% of millennials have ad blockers. 90% of Gen Z's have ad blockers. We're looking at video content is insanely in high consumption, right? Like part of the pull we're feeling is the pull from TikTok. And so all the reasons TikTok wins are the reasons Swaype is going to win too on the brand side. Then you talk about the cost structure where, again, we're flipping kind of influencer marketing on its head into the customer's hands rather than into influencer's hands. And we're seeing the economics are just so obvious. At the end of the day, these people are actual purchasers yeah. who are earning you know, their money back on performance of really good content for you. And then on top of that, by the way, we allow brands to license that content back if they want to repurpose it on their socials or wherever it is, kind of like deal, you know, kind of tiers of licensing. And so it ends up becoming a no brainer from that side. That was one of the things that I didn't even realize in the beginning was the brands couldn't use the content that people posted about them without yeah, permission. Yeah. Could you walk us through that, that a little bit it's more? Huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the content side is actually one of the things that I was talking to arguably the biggest brand in the world, uh, someone very high up there. And they were like, we don't buy anything. We don't pay anybody to do anything for us. Right. Our customers are, it's either organic or, this is like the Lux, Lux version, right? And they said, however, content licensing is the biggest pain because the bigger you get, the, the more difficult it is to, to kind of uh, navigate the legal boundary, the legal hurdles. And so from a content licensing standpoint, if you think about how much content we consume, right? I think we did this math, by the way, when, we were, when you were making the investment too, right? Like how many times does a brand have to post on social to stay relevant every day? It's, yeah. it's kind of crazy. And so from, yeah, from our standpoint, we really, really, we, we get a ton of content for these brands and we mitigate the risk of them just 
trying to use it themselves. And we make it mitigate the time of them having to go and ask for permission to use this content as well, by the way, and it's performative. So you're buying the content that you know performs. So all these kind of factors into play and it's kind of modern day, modern day Shutterstock as we call it. It made me think of that old idea and maybe this is still a true idea, but that customers need kind of seven touch points before mm -hmm. they buy mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. Is that, does that shrink when it's, you know, like if, if those six touch points are from six of, six of your friends or six random people that aren't the brand itself, does that shrink down to like two or how does that work? Have you seen anything there? It's probably too early. When we talk about networks, right. And we're talking about almost seeing something from a cold person versus seeing something from your, from your best friend. So what we've seen so far has been actually quite interesting. And this actually maps back to when the idea started in my Shark Tank days. We started to see that the, like in the comment section, right? Oh, I was thinking about buying that already, or I already seen that already, right? And it's just creating this, it's circling in. It's like you're circling in on a target. It's like a heat map. You're getting hotter and hotter. And if you're, you're penetrating kind of the hottest touch point, right? Like if you, for example, recommend something to me, I don't have to think about it versus if someone that I didn't know. So yeah, exactly. We are getting into those tight networks where you see it in the comments at the very least. So now we're going to go back to my original question, which is what will the world look like in 10 years if you're wildly successful at building SwayPay the way that you want to? So again, it really goes back to Sway as a currency. We've thought a lot about the evolution of currency because I think, again, this, this whole idea of sway and influence as a currency is always ridiculed or laughed at. But the truth of the matter is that the influencer marketing industry alone has only been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And really, the only thing blocking sway from being a currency is the economic side of it, right? Uh, being able to map back attribution. And so if you step back and you think about what the evolution of currency to begin with, right? It started with bartering. Then it was gold. Then it was dollar. Then we got digital currencies. And now we have, you know, decentralized currencies. And social as a currency is arguably the most powerful currency, right? Right? Like word of mouth. It's literally worth its weight in gold. And so we're really just modernizing word of mouth and getting it to the point where people get rewarded for it wherever they are doing it, right? That, that they're that's the whole thesis of SwayPay. You're, you're doing it anyway. You're just not getting rewarded for it. And so it's Robin Hooding, right? It's taking from the platforms, putting it into the pockets of the users who deserve it, who are inherently advertising and, and advocates for the brands that they purchase now that everything is all public, everything is social. So I have to ask you, is there a world in which this goes Web3 at some point? Like when you get to that uh, kind of currency world, will there be a Sway token or do you think that that doesn't need to actually exist because of the loops that you're building here? We think about it a lot. I mean, not a lot, rather. We think about it in, in you know, the kind of 10, 20% swings that, okay, where, where is this really, really going? And we definitely keep track of Web3 you know, things going on. But at the end of the day, what we really, really, really want to focus on is delivering value to customers today. And unless... Web3 unlocks really, really helps us do that in a monumental way, then we kind of, you know, we're not interested in distracting from the main point. What, what was really interesting actually is we were doing user testing, user interviews. And if you think about who our user is, right, it's the college kid in the middle of nowhere who is now all of a sudden getting unprecedented access to things that they never previously had. 
You don't have to complicate that. They don't know what Web3 is. And sure, we can stay abreast of it because we think that it can be woven into the fabric of your product just like AI is, right? It's just part of the stack. But we're just really excited to be, you know, putting so much money into people's pockets that we're sending 1099s and we want to do it in the easiest way for everyone. There's no overcomplicating anything. That actually makes a ton of sense. I've talked to a few different companies for whom you'd think that Web3 makes sense, whether that's tokens or NFTs or something else, but they're like, we thought so too. And then we talked to our users and actually what they want is X or Y or Z. They want the same value prop that a lot of Web3 things can deliver, but they don't want to think about it. And you know, there was one company that I talked to that said they tested both NFTs and digital collectibles and digital collectibles wildly outperformed NFTs in their, their target group. So I would imagine at some point this will operate on, on Web3 Rails, but I yeah. do think that it, it makes sense to just focus on delivering value. If you're giving people money they didn't have access to before right now, like don't, don't mess with it. Yeah, and actually there's, there is two things. I, I think you, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. If, if it becomes part of the Rails because that's the way to deliver the value proposition that they ultimately want, then that's great. And a couple of the things did stand out. One is our referral mechanism is just insanely strong. Right. It's kind of causing this rubbernecking where somebody earns, you know, any amount. Of, it's really interesting. Some of the stats, right? The average user only has 2000 followers and she's making $2 on most of her posts. Every now and then she might make more than 20 bucks on her posts, but it's two bucks. And then even people with 1.3 million followers, they're making $10 on a post. It's opening up this access right? And then they want to go tell their friends. And then they're incentivized not just to tell their friends, but really good users because we have the wait list going, right? And so what's really interesting is I think, number one, there could be a really interesting way to incorporate, I don't want to call it Web3, but incorporate, um, we, we think like badges, honestly, for from a referral standpoint, we, we want to step up our referral game. So that's, that's one of the areas we're thinking about it. The second area we're thinking about Web3 is just when you think about collective ownership, Right. What's really interesting about our user base is that it's cult-like. Every good company, I think, needs an arch nemesis. And our arch nemesis, I think a lot of people think of is, is Facebook, right? And we, or, and ads actually, right? Like yeah. the, we're, we're kind of putting that money back into users' pockets. And so if we can think of ways, whether that incorporates Web3 or not, to, to increase that feeling of you, you're not just a user, you own part of SwayPay, then absolutely we would lean into that. And you're certainly not evil, but I think the other benefit of this is that the people who are creating all the value in the network, like not just giving the, the ad money back to them, but giving the kind of governance control and the ability for, for them to have a say in the direction of the company, I think could be valuable over time. But I think it's, I, I think we're going to be in a spot in a few years where a bunch of companies that are really working, it's going to be really easy for them because of all the infrastructure that's been built to like just plug in right. some tools it's thoughtless. in the right spots. And it's thoughtless versus right now the the focus should be on the consumer and it's working, which is really fun to see. Yeah, and actually, what's what it has been a pretty big theme that people are asking, which I always thought was really fascinating. And then we're seeing the pull, really, the demands from the users that they want to be able to cash out, for example, to crypto. So there are some of those low hanging fruit, just functionality things that we can certainly incorporate. But from we don't call ourselves a Web three company, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think. 
nor should you like you're doing something that is like has a very clear value prop and it doesn't need web three to be to be sexy where can people on the user side is there a way that they can get ahead of this wait list and start using it and then where can brands like where should everybody go and find you and actually before i say that I, i just need to say like the website is awesome so when you tell us what the website is everybody needs to check this out the design is different than anything that you've ever seen where is that website and where else can they find you Swaypayit.com. It's yeah, super. We're super proud of that website. And by the way, that all goes to Aaron, our designer. He is phenomenal. And we were able to pull him from Clover. Uh, I just randomly like LinkedIn DM'd him and I was like, please just like have a conversation with me. Cause he, he was the most creative designer I'd ever seen. I, I was crawling everywhere finding a good product designer and brand designer that, that are, that he does it together. It's just so hard. So I am so excited for all this stuff that he um, it's going to, I mean, he has so much in the works. I, I love it, but yes, swaypayit.com. Swaypayit.com. It, yes. Swaypayit.com. So go check that out. Actually, one more question for you. I'm not going to let you off without telling me how you chose a raccoon as yes. the mascot for the brand. Okay. So raccoons, I mean, this is a whole conversation, but TLDR, right? Raccoons are actually from a, from a personality standpoint, and it's funny because I identify with the raccoon so much. I always have as well. And it's just funny that the company, you know, ethos is also raccoony, but um, they're kind of thieves in the night, right? They're clever. They, they know what's theirs and they go take it. And that's very much part of the Sway Pay user ethos. And, you know, we have this, you know, he has red eyes, Cray. His name is Cray. He has red eyes because he is just kind of constantly scrolling through TikTok. And he's like, what? Like, why are all these people cap- getting, you know, getting paid? How come I can't get paid? right? And I'm savvy. I'm going to go in the DMs. I'm going to try to go get paid too. I'm going to take what's mine, take what's mine, take what's mine. You know, that's the ethos. And I think that it's just people love it, right? And we get all these DMs saying, oh my God, I just can't, I can't get cray out of my head. Or he got memed recently for the first time. He has like a hundred thousand followers on across his socials. And you know, that, that part, that ethos is just it's just, it's centering. It's, it's raccoon culture for us from a founder standpoint, founders listening, right? One of my very favorite things that had always been the case with me as a founder or as, as a founder in the making is the Aflac duck. There's a phenomenal HBR article on what the Aflac duck did for Aflac. It is huh. so cool. You should link it in the podcast episode. Um, it created this cult-like following and it was memorable. And the Aflac duck is actually recognized in Japan, and it actually made the company. There was this pivotal decision that the CEO had to make, and it was this one marketing campaign, and they were like, oh, Aflac, Aflac, sounds like a duck, Aflac, you know, like, and, <laughs> and the CEO chose that, and it was, it made the difference between Aflac tanking and Aflac winning. And if you think about why that's the case, it's because of relatability, and you know, it goes back to Cray being super relatable for our audience. Everyone wants like belonging. I think that's why Web3 is so big. It's, it's belonging, it's community. And, you know, having a mascot that, that resonates with you as in your ethos and that being the centerpiece of our company, there's just so much ground to break there. And, and we've seen it historically being done over and over again. I mean, I, I think to me, and you know, the raccoon is maybe just a, a one manifestation of it, but to give my thoughts on why, because I think I got more mad than you did when you originally told me about people coming to, to kind of take your ideas and maybe tweeted off the cuff a little bit. I don't like when people clickbait on Twitter and I did it, but I was mad. The thing that's impressed me the most is one that you've just kind of kept your head down and and built through this, which is great. But then two, 
the thing that I think is going to be the reason that Suepe wins is because like, it's really hard to fake that. Like if you're not coming into the space, having lived this experience and like kind of been obsessed with this over the past 10 years, like you'd never think, or even like kind of try to do something as weird as having a raccoon as your mascot or have the design that you have on the site. I feel like we're going to see a lot of sites that look like the Suepe site and no matter what they're doing in a couple of years, but there's just something that's like so very core to the brand and the ethos. And it all just kind of like fits together in a way that I think if you're faking it, it can't. So obviously my money uh, is on you and, and Sway Pay, but thank you so much for, for coming on, for telling the story. And I'm going to be rooting you on and doing whatever I can to, to help. Awesome. Appreciate you, Peggy.